You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there. Welcome along. Wonderful to see you again. So, like everyone else at some point in their lives, I was looking this week for something tasty to spread on my bread or toast or pancakes and came across this ad, which I 100% guarantee is a genuine ad. It's in print, so I'm going to read it out for you. In fact, why don't I read it out in the style of a 1940s ad announcer? And my apologies in advance to any animal lovers out there. You're eating a pony. It may be a surprise to little Nenefer here, but it isn't news to choosy moms everywhere. Dickman's spread is made from the finest fat and hooves money can buy. Many of the colts and foals we purchase were sired by thoroughbreds. And while they don't meet racing standards, they sure meet ours. Dickman's renders them into the best equine oleomargarine spread you'll ever taste. Great on bread and toast and delicious on pancakes. It cuts, spoons, and spreads like butter, whether warm or cold. And you'll just love the fresh flavor. Dickman's never tastes stale or horsey. Look for Dickman's spread in your grocer's refrigerated section. It may cost a little more, but you'll be glad you ponied up the cash. Dickman's horse fat spread, made from the goodness of ponies. So there you have it. If your morning toast has been missing that taste of horses all these years... Uh, simply take yourselves to your grocer's refrigerated section and grab some Dickman's rendered pony fat spread. Which they admit is made from hooves. <laughs> also, Nenifer? What the hell is a Nenifer? Seriously, if you don't believe me on this one, Google Dickman's horse fat spread to see for yourself. I love the cute little pony in the corner of the ad too, who's absolutely delighted about the fact that he's going to be turned into a spread for a little Nenefer there. Good God. Anyway, now the food tips are out of the way for a moment. A quick bulletin for you. I've been reviewing a lot of old British films recently, the kind that were always on in the afternoons on Channel 4 over here in the UK. That's mainly because so many of them have been turning up on YouTube lately, and especially on one fellow's channel. His channel is called EH44Returns, all one word. So if you're into the old Brit classics, subscribe to his channel because he has hundreds of the things, and they're all free. My sincere thanks to Paul Clarkson for pointing me there. Well, along to the first film I want to tell you about today, which is cut straight from Warner Brothers' crime collection, which, as you may be ever so slightly aware, I am a great fan of. All throughout the 30s, Humphrey Bogart had been slugging his way through a ton of movies, mainly in supporting roles and generally second or third down the billing. He'd been top-billed a few times, but always in films that were most definitely the second feature. Well, all that changed in 1941, when he starred in two movies that saw him turn from popular supporting actor to megastar leading man. The second of these films was The Maltese Falcon, which has, over time, become the stuff of legend. But way before that, back in January of 1941, Bogart starred in the film that debatably turned him into a household name. This is High Sierra, which also starred Ida Lupino, Joan Leslie, and Henry Travers. It's getting kind of noisy, so I've been waiting over an hour. I've been waiting too, over eight years. The park's down there, ain't it? Yeah, the park. Say, Oil, you feeling all right? I will be, just as soon as I make sure that grass is still green and trees are still growing. So High Sierra follows the tale of Roy Earl, 
a career criminal just released from prison who's hired by crime boss Big Mac, oh, I feel hungry all of a sudden, to take charge of a dangerous heist in Tropico Springs, California. Since when has Big Mac been teaming up with ex-coppers? I told you not to worry about that. Now, Mac wants you to start for California right away. That car downstairs is yours. Here's the keys. Now, here's your route and some dough. The sooner you get out there, the better. What's the setup? I don't suppose you ever heard of Tropical Springs? Well, it's a resort town. It's the richest little town in the world, they call it. And a hotel there gets all the top sugar. You're gonna knock it off. Am I, copper? Helping Roy in the heist is Red and Babe, two jittery, snot-nosed gun rats, who've dragged along for the ride a dancehall girl named Marie, who instantly falls for the gruff, older Earl. Of course, things go horribly wrong from here on in. This is one of those strange, anomalous Warner crime dramas where crime really isn't the main driving force of the movie. In fact, very little in the way of criminal activity actually takes place apart from a few set pieces. And yet, there is an overpowering sense of dread and tension to this film that seems to linger in every frame. It's masterfully written by John Huston, who adapted W.R. Burnett's story, and who in the process of doing so became Bogart's drinking buddy for life. In fact, so impressed were Warner Brothers by Huston's work that he got to make his directorial debut later that year with, yes, you guessed it, The Maltese Falcon. So in actual fact, High Sierra sent two incredibly important careers into legendary status. I love the slow building of suspense in this film, such as the fact that Bogart and his gang are supposed to be laying low, but people begin to notice that they're there. The small dog that wants to befriend Bogart, but who threatens to give the game away. Even the gradual softening of Bogart's character by Marie. It's compelling stuff, and it's really wonderfully done. The dog, Pard, actually plays a very large part in the film. He almost comes to symbolize Bogart's transformation from ruthless killer to outcast with a heart. For many years, the rumor was that Pard was played by Terry, the dog actor who played Toto in The Wizard of Oz, but this was actually false. Pard was actually played by Zero, who was Humphrey Bogart's own dog, hence the chemistry. I won't go too much into detail when it comes to the story because surprise, surprise, I have the radio version of High Sierra for you today. This is from the Screen Guild Theatre and stars Humphrey Bogart and Ida Lupino in their original roles. So let's load that particular bullet into the old pistol, shall we? With part one of High Sierra. See you very shortly. The Lady Esther Screen Guild play tonight... Hi, Sierra. The starring players, this is Humphrey Bogart. This is Ida Lupino. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in a radio adaptation of Warner Brothers' success, Hi, Sierra, from the original story by W.R. Burnett. It stars Humphrey Bogart as Roy Earl and Ida Lupino as Marie Garson. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in High Sierra. It's a long way from a life term in prison to a mountain peak in the California Sierras. The first step on the journey was accomplished by Big Mac. Big Mac spent a lot of money arranging for Roy Earl's release from jail. As our story begins, Roy has come to Los Angeles to see Big Mac and return the favor. Mac, you're a sight for sore eyes, and thanks for springing me. Well, it's sure good to see you, Roy. <coughs> like old times. <laughs> What's wrong, Mac? I don't know. Nothing sets well with me anymore. Doc says it's my past life catching up with me. <laughs> yeah, getting so I can't stand the smell of liquor. Yeah, you join me in a drink? <laughs> oh, thanks, I never touch it. Yeah, good idea. Well, I imagine you want to know why I got you out of stir, Roy. Well, I, I was kind of wondering. Must be important, Mac. It is, Roy. It's a big job. And here's the setup. Ever hear of Tropical Springs? It's a resort town. Richest little town in the world, they call it. The hotel there is some joint. 
Mendoza, uh, he's my inside man, the clerk, he says the hotel will be full, you know. There'll be plenty of rocks then, worth maybe half a million. Hey, that's quite a setup. You bet it is. You gotta be careful. <coughs> I, uh, I got a fellow named Joe Kramer flying out here from Chicago. He'll give you a hand if anything goes wrong. Joe Kramer? He used to be a copper. No, he's reformed. Don't worry, he's okay. A copper's always okay. Well, if it'll make you feel any better, take this letter. There's a telephone number on it and the name of a fence who will handle the stuff in case anything happens to me. Ah, you'll be okay, Mac. Just lay off that tiger juice. <laughs> sure. But uh, take the letter anyway. Okay. Now, well, you better get going, old-timer. Uh, drive to a place called Shaw's Camp on White Mountain, about 100 miles north of Barstow. Look for a guy named Red Hattery and his partner. The clerk Mendoza will phone you there when everything's ready. Okay, Mac. You don't have to worry about a thing. Roy Earl doesn't forget a favor. After this caper, you'll be the richest man this side of the Sierras. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm looking for a fellow named Hattery. He's staying up here. Him and another fella. Oh, yeah, they all in cabin number party that's expected. Yeah. Oh, well, right here's your cabin, number 11. Thanks. Looking for somebody, mister? Yeah, is Hattery here? Yeah. Red! You royal? Yeah. Hello, Mr. Earl. Hattery? Yeah, gee, I'm sure glad to see you. Meet my pal, Babe Kozak. Hi, Mr. Earl. And, uh, this is Marie Garson. Hello. The color boy's got your cabin fixed up, Mr. Earl. We sort of figured you'd like to be... Yeah, thanks. You two beat it. I want to see Hattery for a minute. Okay by me. Come on, Marie. You uh, don't like the idea of the dame, huh? Even guys like you ought to know better. Oh, Babe met her in a dime in a dance joint in Los Angeles. She's strictly... Oh, it just sort of looks after things for us, you know. Well, give her some dough and send her back. Get her out of here. Hey, okay, anything you say. I just want you to know, Mr. Earl, that with you on the job, we feel we're in fast company. Gee, I sure heard a lot about you. One time when I was only a kid, I seen your pictures in the paper. I... Just remember, get rid of that dame. Come in. Mr. Earl, can I see you for a moment? Yeah, what's on your mind? Well, I just had a talk with Red. Why do you want to send me away? I like it here. Uh, don't play dumb. And to. Well, I know what's coming off all right. I didn't get it from the boys either. Mendoza told me. He talks faster than a horse can trot, and all he does is brag. So you see, Mr. Earl, Mendoza's the one for you to worry about, not me. I'm not worrying about you. I'm worrying about them jitterbugs you got with you. They'll be throwing lead over you before long. Oh, I can handle them all right. Babe's tough, but he's afraid of red, and, well, I can make red think my way. <laughs> you got it all figured out, ain't you? Yeah, in a way. Well, uh, well, we'll let things ride for a few days and see how it works out. But if there's any rush, you go. Oh, thanks, Mr. Earl. Mr. Earl, I, I... Well, what is it? Oh, nothing. Good night. <laughs> Letting a dame get around me, I must be nuts. What's all the commotion? Morning, sir. It's me, Algernon. Oh, okay. Come in. Come on. Come back here, Paul. What's the matter with you? Oh, uh, the lady next door got your breakfast already, Mr. Earl. She thought I ought to maybe see if you were stirring around. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, that's fine. Oh, well, get on there, Paul. Get on. Oh, uh, how do you like this dog, sir? Well, he's just a dog, ain't he? Oh, no, sir. He does all sorts of tricks. Uh, roll over there for the man, Paul. Hello, <laughs> boy. Ain't that trouble? Uh, you're uh, you're kind of proud of your pooch, eh? Oh, uh, he ain't my dog, sir. He just kind of follows me around. Sometimes I get sort of worried about it, too. Why? Well, you see, there's a part here. He used to belong to a woodcutter who stayed up here all the year round. When well, I last went, I sound bam, right on this young man's house and killed him. But he didn't kill Pod, though. So another man, he saw Pod wandering around kind of lonesome like in the snow and took him in. 
Boom! That man up and died with pneumonia just like that. A big strapping fella, too. So then, Pod, he gets to hanging around. And doggone if the lady who owns the place don't come down with heart trouble. Just boom, bam! <laughs> okay, so what? What's all this got to do with me? Well, I'm just telling you about Pod in case you want him for your own dog. Morning, Mr. Earl. Alton, I'm breaking your heart with a story about the mutt here. Oh, it's the Lord's truth, so this dog's got the evil eye. I tell you, put the hex on you for sure. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll be my worry, eh, Pod? Hey, hey, how'd you like to be my dog? Okay, boy, okay. Looks like you got yourself a dog. <laughs> I wonder who that is. I'll get it. Hello? What? Oh, yeah, how are you? Yeah? Good. Midnight. Right, so long. Who was it? Closer. Everything's set for tonight. The safe's loaded with glass. Well, this is where we part company, kid. You get your stuff together, and I'll run you over to Ballard so you can catch the bus to L.A. Roy. Huh? Roy, remember when you were in stir? What kept you from going crazy? Thinking all the time about a crash-out? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I've been trying to crash out all my life, too. You see, my old man used to get drunk a couple of times a week and kick us around. My old lady would just grin and bear it. Me. I waited for my chance and beat it. I crashed out, too. Yeah, I got you. Well, then I came down to L.A. and got a job in a dime a dance joint. It was a living, but sick of being pawed all the time. So when Babe came along, I crashed out again. <laughs> I thought Babe was the right guy. I found out he was just the same as the guys in the dance hall. I guess I never with any guys that wasn't wrong. So I had nothing to go by. Till I met you. Well, I, I guess I'll get ready. Marie. What's the matter, kid? Oh, Roy, I want to die. I'm no good. Nobody wants me. Please, Roy, don't take me back to Los Angeles. Let me stay. Oh, Roy, please. I want to be with oh, you. No, you don't. No, you don't. I... I travel hard and fast, honey. Yeah, I know, but I've got to be with you. Please, Roy. Oh. Okay. Well, I'm probably a prize sap, but it's your funeral. Well, if you want to, but just remember, you won't mean nothing to me. Nothing special, I mean. Oh, Roy, thanks. Yeah. Read it. Go get Red and Babe and tell them to get ready. We got a date in Tropical Springs at midnight. <laughs> the lights of Tropical Springs ahead, honey. We'll be there in a few minutes. Roy, I'm kind of frightened. Ah, everything will be all right. Now, listen, here's what happens. Red and Babe will park behind us, and we three will go in the hotel. Mendoza will have, have no trouble getting in. Now, you stay outside in the car with Pard and keep that motor running. If anybody comes along, just lay on that horn. Okay, Roy, but be careful. Yeah, sure. Oh, shot. Yeah, we got to blow and blow fast. So where's Pond? He's in the rumble seat. I was afraid to get lost when he started to blow. Gee, honey, you better step on it. Yeah. I saw the cop crossing the plaza. I blew the horn like you told me. Didn't you hear it? Yeah, but he got there too quick, and I had to take care of him. Oh, Roy. I didn't kill him. Look at Babe up ahead, driving without lights. He's crazy. Hey, what's he doing? The darn fools, they just turned off on the wrong road. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going after him. Don't bother about him. Only about us. Now they've done it. Lost their heads. Small timers for small jobs. This one was just too big. Boy, that car's on fire. Yeah, something smoke. Well, it's a break for us anyway. Them coppers will go to the fire. Well, I've done my share. That's all a guy can do. Roy. Yeah? Roy, I'm about ready to pass out. No fooling. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, I'll be. Roy Earl, the famous bandit, tries to pull off biggest robbery in years, accompanied by a dog and a fainting woman. <laughs> Not only a sap, but a 14-carat sap. That's what I am. A 14-carat sap.
and we will rejoin High Sierra for its thrilling conclusion later on. Okay, on to this show's edition of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? I will be very, very surprised if anyone gets this one. This one is ridiculously hard. In fact, if you do get it, then you are some kind of genius. I offer it only because I get so many messages saying how easy they are. Well, prepare yourselves for a real challenge then, as we play an absolutely tough-as-nails edition of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? Now we come to the special feature of our program, the appearance of our mystery celebrity for which my colleagues on the panel are asked to blindfold themselves, as you all know. Blindfolds in place, panel. Good, will you come in, mystery challenger, and sign in, please? All right, panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery challenger, different form of questioning. One question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and let's begin with Martin Gable. Are you a woman? One down and nine to go, Miss Francis. Are you primarily known for your work in pictures? Mm-hmm. Mr. Allen. Uh, have you any connection uh, specifically with the field of comedy? Mm-hmm. Two down and eight to go, Miss Kilgallen. Have you and I ever waltzed at the Waldorf for the March of Dimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three down and seven to go, Mr. Gable. Have you and I ever waltzed? <laughs> 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 Dorothy, that no to you was no, I haven't, but I'd like to, I think. Thank you. Uh, what was it to me, though? To go. <laughs> the, the, uh, are you here to publicize a picture that is about to open? Mm-hmm. Mr. Allen. Is that, what is that? That's yes. There's a picture opening. Are you uh, in the leading man area? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that a yes? Mm-hmm. That's a no. Now, this is a strict interpretation of the category leading man. That's five down and five to go, Miss Kilgallen. Well, now, he's already said no to comedy, hasn't he? Right. He's not primarily a comedian. Uh, then are you a character man, a character lead type? Yes and no, yes and no. Mr. Gable? Are you always a tenor? <laughs> are you always a tenor? <laughs> no. That <laughs> six down and four to go, Miss Francis. Uh, would I be correct in assuming that you are not, uh, that you are known more as an actor rather than a singer or dancer? Mm-hmm. Mr. Allen? Were you born in a country other than the United States? Mm-hmm. Miss Kilgallen? Well, I don't know whether that's, that's a yes. That's yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, British Isles? Mm-hmm. That's seven down and three to go, Mr. Gable. No. Continent of Europe? Oh, I Mm-hmm. That's yes, Miss Francis? Well, I saw a picture in the Sunday Times today of a man that we all like very much that's in pictures, in a new picture, and he's a, he's a very sad-eyed, innocent villain. <laughs> Are you by any chance a sad-eyed, innocent vil- villain in pictures? See what I mean? The smarter among you may have got it from that very final clue. But I defy any of you to have guessed correctly based on the evidence before it all. Anyway... To find out if you are right, keep listening. The answer is coming up later. Well, here's a turn up for the books. I have recently partnered up with a marvellous publication called The Dark Pages, which is a bi-monthly newsletter that shines the spotlight on all things noir. Yes, a wonderfully written and very lovingly created ode to film noir movies from the golden age. I am absolutely delighted to be directing your attention to these guys because they love what they do. They are very audience-focused, and just like you and me, they love to revisit the classics. For example, the latest edition has features dedicated to the 1950 thriller House by the River, 1946's The Dark Mirror, which I told you about back in the Olivia de Havilland episode. There's a feature about Michelle Morgan, about the Robert Mitchum film Where Danger Lives, many, many more movies in there too, alongside listings for some upcoming classic movie screenings, letter pages, essays on Raymond Chandler, tons of stuff to get you noir heads excited and all curated and crafted by a hand-picked gang of noir aficionados. 
Seriously, if you love film noir, you will love the dark pages. Just go to www.allthatnoir.com slash newsletter to take a look. I'll drop a link in the show notes too. Great, guys. They'll even give you a very handsome sample copy to play with. Very pleased to be flying the flag for classic movies alongside them. Okay, let me tell you about another movie I watched last week. This is Her Sister's Secret from 1946, starring Nancy Coleman and Margaret Lindsay, and directed by one of my favorite Hollywood rebels, Edgar Ulmer. So the story here is of a young lady, Tony Dubois, who one night meets a soldier, Dick Connolly, at a masquerade ball. They instantly fall in love, and after a whirlwind night of romance where Connolly promises that he'll always love her, they have a one-night stand. Now, already we're in unfamiliar territory, because nice girls in Hollywood movies of the 1940s never had one-night stands. Not unless they were going to be horribly punished in some way for it by the end of the film. So unfamiliar was this turn of events to me when I watched it that I didn't actually realize that was what had happened. You must understand that I watch somewhere upwards of 20 movies a week for these podcasts, and it threw me completely. Anyway, to go back to the story, Dick suddenly receives word that he's to be shipped back off to war the following morning, and by a rather contrived series of events, he isn't able to tell Tony. She thinks that he's abandoned her. The problem is that she soon finds out that she's fallen pregnant. Being a 1940s story, this is, of course, unacceptable in society's eyes. What on earth can Tony do? Now tell Big Sister all about it. How did you know there was something? Well, when Tony comes dashing to New York and then wants to stay by herself, she's got problems. But I don't feel like talking about myself tonight. Not with Bill just leaving. Oh, nonsense. Don't you know that the best way to forget troubles is to talk about somebody else's? Step forward, Tony's sister, Renee who has been for many years trying to conceive a child with her husband, Bill, himself a soldier who's away a lot. Rene comes up with a solution she believes will work. She will take Tony's baby and tell Bill that it is theirs. Tony can go back to her life and no one will be any the wiser. The issue is that soon after this plan has been put into action, Tony begins to have second thoughts. And it's all complicated further by the fact that Dick Connolly has just arrived back home and is desperately seeking Tony. Oh, it is you. <laughs> Hello, Peppy. So you remembered me all this time. Oh, well, how could I forget a friend of Mademoiselle Dubois? I knew someday you would come back. And how about... Well, did she come here again? Uh, of course, mon ami. She even left something for you. Come on. I really wasn't expecting to like this film. It sounded from the synopsis I read like some dramatized version of a gossip magazine article. Plus, I really don't like movies in which everyone is very overwrought, and this seemed like a film where everyone would be awfully overwrought. Lucky, then, that it's directed by Edgar Ulmer, who once again shows why the Hollywood majors did themselves a huge disservice by turning their backs on him. He directs this with such flair and such skill that he turns this hand-wringing soap opera into something rather suspenseful, rather nail-biting, rather gut-wrenching, and something totally watchable. I was hooked. First off, the fact that main characters have sex with each other outside of marriage is pretty refreshing, and it gives the whole story a much more adult feel. Then you have some marvellous cinematic touches, especially later in the movie. There's a scene in the park where Tony begins to stalk her child that had me wincing in horror. Ulmer then backs up this very dramatic situation with some wonderful supporting players, such as the great Henry Stevenson and the always lovely Felix Breissart. He also tells the entire story from beginning to end with the greatest efficiency. You are literally in and out within 86 minutes, so you're never bored. The New York Times wrote about this film. It follows the pattern set by many of those lachrymose radio offerings. That is the perfect way to describe this movie. It quite easily could have been a radio play, and I mean that in the most complimentary sense. The story is boiled down to its essentials and told beautifully. It's trash, don't get me wrong but it is gorgeous trash. Do seek out Her Sister's Secret from 1946. Loved it. Right, before any further ado, 
Let's take a tip into the overflowing pot of queries. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Yes, thank you. And the first question this time comes from Alice Wernament Bodner, who asks, Oh, mighty question pot. As I can come to no resolution myself, I seek your counsel and will adopt your conclusions as my own on the ponderous and age-worn question, what do we think of Ruth Hussey? And the follow-up, is she really just the stone-faced, unlikable version of Joan Bennett? I await with trembling and sincere wonder your all-knowing response. Well, Alice, you've unfortunately touched a nerve here because I have the most humongous crush on Ruth Hussey and will not have a bad word said about her. However, I will admit that she never looked like she was enjoying smiling that much. She always looked as though she was on the verge of smiling. And actually, I had never noticed the Joan Bennett resemblance, although now you point it out, of course she does. <laughs> I prefer to think of her demeanour as sultry and by crikey. I could quite happily gaze at her almost smiling face all day. As for unlikable, you're just plain wrong, Miss Wernman Bodner. Leave my Ruthie alone. <laughs> right, the second question is from Al Gale, who writes, I've been listening to a show from a rival podcaster, but as you recommended it, I'm sure you won't mind me saying so. Down these mean streets, featuring your beloved Basil Rathbone. The Tales of Fatima. Basil Rathbone plays himself solving crimes a la Sherlock Holmes, all with the help of the sponsor's cigarettes. This led me to wondering, what's the weirdest radio show or series you've come across? You've actually answered the question, Al. That is by far the weirdest one I've ever heard, and I love, love, love it. So much so that I did actually play all the Tales of Fatima episodes back in the Basil the Great episode some time ago. If you haven't heard it, people, it's a series in which Basil Rathbone, the actor, plays Basil Rathbone, the actor and detective, and it is one of the best things ever made. He really sends himself up. It's a complete riot. Unfortunately, though, only two episodes exist, which you can hear if you go back and download episode 36 of Attaboy Clarence. And yes, Down These Mean Streets is a superb podcast that you should all be subscribed to. Jack, who hosts it, also makes the Stars on Suspense podcast, which is probably my favourite show, so go and get that one too. Okay, last dip into the pot this week comes from Leah, who asks... Adam, were there any female directors of classic movies? I was totally crushed to find out that Carol Reed was a man. I always thought he was a she. Leah, there were loads, most notably Miss Ida Lupino, the star of today's radio play, who directed some great movies, including The Hitchhiker and Outrage. She was, for a time, the only woman directing movies in Hollywood during the 1950s, and she was crazy talented. She also directed episodes of Bewitched and The Twilight Zone. There was also Dorothy Arzner and Lois Weber and Alice Guy Blash. But unfortunately, these female pioneers never seem to get the same recognition as the men that worked around them. So you do have to dig. In fact, Leah, now that you've written in, I'm totally inspired to tell you about some Ida Lupino-directed movies. So I'm going to do that next time. Until then, if you have a question, go to attaboyclarence.com and scroll down the homepage until you find the question pot. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Well, her sister's secret from earlier in the show featured, if you remember, the lovely Felix Bressart. I do love seeing him in a movie so much. He also pops up in the next movie I have for you today, a thriller from 1940 called Escape, starring Robert Taylor and Norma Shearer. So you're an American. Tell me, do you have Indian blood? Indian blood? Or are you a cowboy? I love those cowboy songs. Did you bring your ukulele? <laughs> Look, lady, there are other people in America besides Indians and cowboys. Oh, then you're a hillbilly. Yeah, that's right. From 57th Street. West or east? West. Why? I was born on East 57th. <laughs> For the love of... Honest? Cross my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but those girls called you Countess. Do you live around here? I've lived here for many years. Ever since my husband died. You was a native of this country? Well, why don't you come back home? 
Obviously, being made in 1940, pretty much all thrillers had a wartime flavour to them. This one has slightly more of a wartime flavour to it than usual, because it's set in Nazi Germany just before the outbreak of the Second World War. Things are heating up in Germany, and our story begins with an ageing actress, Emmy Ritter, who's returned home to Germany to sell her house. Just as she's about to leave, though, she is arrested by the authorities on a technicality and shipped off to a concentration camp where she's swiftly ordered to be executed. Her son, Mark Prising, soon comes looking for her, though, and with the help of a sympathetic countess, played by Norma Shearer, devises an ingenious plan to rescue his mother from the clutches of the Nazis. Very clever little film, really. It could have been a very run-of-the-mill war thriller with lots of quips and American flag-waving. Instead, it turns into something very much more Hitchcockian. This is not about a man arriving in Nazi Germany and punching folks out and telling them how great it is to live in the free world, etc., etc. This is more about a son who loves his mother and who arrives in a strange land and the only way he can succeed is to slowly infiltrate the place until he sees an opening. It's a very tense film in parts, especially as the net starts to close around him. Each time a Nazi officer comes anywhere near our hero, your heart leaps up into your mouth and there's a stupendously suspenseful sequence near the end of the film involving a coffin. It really is very well thought out. Bringing up the rear in the cast, you have Conrad Veidt as Norma Shearer's Nazi lover, who despite the uniform, is actually something of a sympathetic character. You learn that he didn't always feel this way about the world, and there may just be a glimpse of humanity left in him. Benita Granville plays a suspicious young Fraulein who may be on the verge of blowing the escape plan wide open, and the lovely, lovely Felix Bressart plays a gentle German who decides to help this boy get his mother back, even though it may cost him his life. One of the main reasons I racked this one up is because it stars one of silent cinema's greatest legends, Miss Ala Nazimova, who stars here as Emmy Ritter. My reasons for watching her films will become clear when you hear the next Secret History of Hollywood series. Now, I have never seen her perform in a sound film before, and to be completely honest, I was expecting the experience to be something awful, because silent stars had terrible trouble converting their gifts to sound cinema in the main. They always waved their arms a little too hard or glared too much or basically just overacted. It is a testament to Alan Azimova's tremendous talent then that despite the thrills and spills going on around her, despite her silent cinema credentials, and despite the obviously glittering cast that threatened to steal her sunshine, that she's the best thing in this movie. The scene at the beginning where she resignedly reasons with a Nazi doctor is an acting masterclass. Our children will thank us for the world we are making for them. Thank you. Thank you for what? For a world filled with a seed of new hates? For a world in ruins? Oh, if that's what your new savior can bring. No, thank you. I don't want it for myself or my children. My children? She was far more renowned for her theatre work anyway, so it may have been slightly unfair of me to prejudge her in this regard. As I say, though, I was blown away by her in this movie. She is incredible. I love Ala Nazimova for life, and you will too if you watch it. Love her. In fact, the only thing that lets the movie down at all is Robert Taylor's character. <laughs> He's a rather joyless little cretin. You do sympathise with the fact that he wants his mother back, but he's so mean-spirited with anyone who won't throw down their life to help him that by the halfway point, you're almost hoping that he does get thrown in the clink. Mr. Pising, this is not the United States. How long do you suppose I'd be allowed to go on living here if I handle such cases? Are you telling me there's nothing I can do in a legal way? Nothing. Go back to America. I've got to know something. What her sentence is, where she's being kept, at least I've got to know that. You know, you must know. I know nothing. Those trials are secret. I know nothing. You do, you're afraid to tell me. Well, you will tell me. <laughs> anyway, if you like your thrillers slick and exciting, and if you like your talent scintillating, 
then do check out 1940's Escape. It's a great little tale of subterfuge from behind enemy lines. Well, before we return for the conclusion of High Sierra, let's find out exactly who the hell that Hollywood legend was. I wonder if any of you will have guessed this one correctly. Let's find out, shall we? Are you by any chance a sad-eyed, innocent vil- villain in pictures? <laughs> yes, I'm afraid I Yes, it was Peter Laurie. I honestly don't know how Arlene Francis got that one. And if you guessed it, then you are truly a detective, the equal of Sherlock Holmes. There'll be more Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend next time. For now, though, let's cross back on over to the Screen Guild Theatre for their thrilling conclusion to High Sierra, starring Humphrey Bogart and Ida Lupino. See you afterwards. It's about noon. The day following the robbery at Tropical Springs. A blue roadster with a man, a woman, and a little white dog in it has just arrived in Los Angeles and pulls up in front of a cheap hotel. The man gets out of the car, chucks a shoebox under his arm, enters the hotel, stares, and then... Come in. Hello, Earl. How are you? I'm Kramer. Big Mac must have told you about me. Awful sick man, Big Mac is. Collapsed last night. He's asleep now. <laughs> I was just uh, reading the headlines. No, it's tough about Babe and Red. Both counted, huh? Yeah. Mendoza got knocked cold, but he'll be all right. <laughs> Police think he was kidnapped. Uh, let's go show the stuff to Big Mac. May pip him up. That the, uh... Glass in the shoebox? Yeah, it sure is heavy. <laughs> Wake up, boss. Earl's here. Clipped him for a half a million. Yeah, I sure come through for you, Mac. You didn't spring me for nothing. Hey. Hey, what's the matter with him? Mac. Mac, wake up. Wake up! This guy's dead. What? Yeah. Kicked off in his sleep, I guess. Poor Mac. Yeah, it's uh, not too bad. By the way, uh, what are you going to do with the stuff, Earl? Mac told me just what to do in case something like this come up. I guess he had a feeling they'd never make it. Look, Earl, don't be a sucker. Mac's dead and we're rich. I can get a fence to handle the stuff. Don't you get it? We're rich. Listen, Chisler, I'm still working for Mac, and so are you. I got instructions, and I'm going to follow them. Mac told me to call this number, and... All right, Earl. Hand over that shoebox. Give me any trouble, and I'll fill you full of lead. I'd be reinstated and get a medal besides. Copper's always a copper. Well, what can I lose? Stuff's pretty hot at that. You're welcome to it. <laughs> now, that's smart talk. Here you are, Kramer. No, you don't, Earl. Move over. You gotta drive, Marie. Honey, what's the matter? I cut a slug in my shoulder. We gotta dump this stuff and lay low for a while. I have a line on a few tourist camps. Okay, Roy, but what about your shoulder? That'll be okay. Just get going. You, Marie? Uh huh. Feeling all right, honey? Yeah, sure. Ah, this is a life. You mean like this jumping around from one tourist camp to another? No, no. no I was thinking how it was sitting watching the moonlight. Nothing like mountain air. Got kind of a feel to it tonight, like back home. If I'd shut my eyes, it'd be a nice summer night in Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice, Roy. Just sitting here with you. You know, you're all I got in the world. Gee, I'm I'm sorry about flying off the handle at you sometimes. Oh, I like it. I mean, that's the way married people ought to act. My ma and pa fought like cats and dogs going on 40 years. I wouldn't give you two cents for a dame without a temper. Down part. Evening, folks. Here's the paper you ordered, lady. Thanks. Both your cabins okay? Everything's fine. 
Tell me, is that uh, doghouse broken? Yeah, sure he is. People ain't supposed to have dogs in the cabins, but if he's housebroken... Yeah, don't you worry. Well, good night. Roy. Roy was thinking. Do you suppose there was anything to what Algernon said about Pod here being bad luck? Ah, that's malarkey. Well, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't. No, I'm going to pull a little dog be the cause of all our troubles. That's just plain dumb. Yeah, maybe, but I... Roy. Roy, listen to this headline. America's new public enemy number one, Roy Earl. And Dozer. Go on. Believe it or not, Earl is traveling with a woman who answers to the name of Marie and a little white dog who answers to the name of Pard. Oh, it must have been Mendoza. Yeah, he squawked. I should have taken care of him. Here, let me see that paper. How do you like that? Look at the name they hung on me. Mad Dog Earl. Them newspaper rats. Roy, what are we going to do? Well, I... I got to park you for a while. Oh, no, Roy. No, don't leave me. I'm scared. How do you think I'm going to drag you with me and get you shot? Better when they hang that number one tag on you, they shoot first and argue afterwards. I know. Mad Dog Earl, how do you like that? And Joe Mendoza sure spilled everything. They'll hang the Kramer killing on me if they get me. But they're not going to get me. I've done all the time I'll ever do. I've seen them poor death cells. Not for me. What do you mean, Roy? I mean, they'll never take me. That's what I mean. Please, Roy, I wish you wouldn't. Listen, honey, this is no time for talking. Now, you get your things and let's get out of here. You can take the bus to Las Vegas. I'll meet you there. What about Pard? Get a big basket with a lid on it. We put Pard in it and you take him with you. Yeah, but Roy... Now, listen, I don't want to talk. We've got to move and move fast. Okay, honey. Anything you say. I'll see you in Las Vegas. <laughs> There you are, mister. Full tank of gas and three quarts of oil. That'll be 347. That's not bad. But this time the party's on you, buddy. Huh? Hey, what do you mean? Look here. If you give me no it... trouble, you won't get hurt. Hand over the dough in that cash register. Right. Yes, sir. Don't get nervous with that gun, sir. I'll never get myself shot up. Here you are. Hey, Ed. Come take a look at this tire. Keep the trap shut. Hand over the rest. Here you are. Everything but the pennies. Say, what goes here, Ed? Hey, where are you going, mister? Out of the way, brother. And a happy new year to you, buddy. Who is that guy, Ed? How does he get off? Let him go. He's a killer. That's Roy Earl. What? So what are we waiting for? Give me that phone. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Roy Earl, last seen driving Blue Roadster and heading for the Sierras. Watch all roads. That is all. This is Sheriff O'Donnell. We've located Earl's car in Blue Jay Pass. Yeah, he's running the ditch. That's right, about 60 miles from Ballard. Calling all cars, calling all cars. Head for the center. Earl barricaded on side of mountain near Blue Jay Pass. Has machine gun. Be careful. Shoot to kill. Ah, there's going to be trouble, Sheriff. We can't hold this crowd much longer. They all want to get a glimpse of Roy Earl. Uh, Come on, move back there now. Move back. Come on, go on. It'll all be over pretty soon anyway, Ed. We got a fellow from the ranger station climbing around in back of Earl. He has a rifle with a telescopic sight, and the first time Earl moves from behind that rock or stands up, bluey. Excuse me, please. Please, excuse me. Let hey, me you, you, wait a minute, wait a minute. Get behind that rope. Please, I just want to... Hey, just a minute, you. Just a minute. Say, haven't I seen you before, lady? No. No, I've never been around here before. Let go. That's funny. I never forget a face. Come on, now. Come on. What are you up to, sister? Nothing. Let go of my arm. You've got a little dog in that basket, haven't you, sister? A little white dog? That's my business. Pod, Pod, come back here. Pod. Pod, huh? Just as I figured, you're Roy Earl's girlfriend. What are you doing here? Well, I got as far as Las Vegas when I heard the newsboys yelling at Roy had been captured. So I got another bus and came back. Yeah? Well, now, look here, sister. You can save yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of trouble all around. You tell your man to come down and surrender. Tell him if we don't have to. What do you think I am? Yell to him. Tell him he'd better put up his gun and come down. Do like I say now if you don't want him killed. All right. That's fine. Well, 
Go ahead, go ahead, yell. No. No, I won't. What's that? I won't. We'll kill him. Go ahead, he's got to die anyway. He'd rather it was this way. He's no coward, he's not afraid. People never did understand him. He's clean and loyal. I'll bet he thinks more of his freedom than you do. He likes to see the sunrise in the morning and watch the moon at night just like all the rest of you. He's not an animal you can lock up in a cage. He couldn't stand going back to prison by nose. So go on, kill him. Kill him. Okay, sister. Okay. We'll get him just as soon as he stands up. Oh! Come down. This is your last chance. Come and get me. There's plenty of you down there. I tell you, this is your last chance. That's what... Copper. Where's that boot? I don't know. He was just... There he goes, up the side of the mountain. Say, he must have heard Earl's voice. Quick, Ed, quick. This may be our chance. Signal Jim to get ready with the rifle. Boy, look at that mud travel up the mountain. Hard, <laughs> come here. what are you doing up here, fella? What? I... Well, they've got Marie. Where is she? Marie! Wonderful stuff. That was High Sierra starring Humphrey Bogart and the marvelous Ida Lupino. Poor old Roy Earl and his late conversion to lawfulness. Well, thank you for joining me for this edition of Attaboy Clarence. The patron-only bonus show will be out in a few days' time, and I'll be telling you about a couple of super cool British movies, one of which stars... Sally Gray. Yes, so if you'd like to become a patron and hear that episode, you can find out how by listening on to the end of this show. Until next time then, folks, thank you for listening. Take excellent care of yourselves, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.